This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down in life, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Hour number two of two is officially underway. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday morning. I know I am because I'm here with you. And we're coming to you live as always from the beautiful 1037 The Game Studios. Hear this worldwide. And you already know you can hear this thing worldwide on 1037thegame.com. The free mobile app, your favorite smart speakers. Amazon Alexa, Google Home, or even if you're driving around the highways and byways here, you can check us out on that FM dial, the Tower of Power that is 1037 The Game. He is the Tower of Power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And hopefully you're... Take it nice and easy. And if you want to call us up, 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. And we got a lot to get to over the next, you know, 60 minutes or so before we get you to 12 o'clock. And more importantly, we get you that much closer, that much closer to the NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. I know I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully you are as well. Because let's be honest, we love our favorite sport teams, and this is that time to go ahead and root on your favorite franchise. But honestly, I think for most of us, the season's over because LSU football's done. The NFL season, largely done with the Saints. They're they're out, so really doesn't matter. But... I'll get some NFL playoff talking probably later on with our guy Ross Jackson. He'll be joining the program. I'm disappointed, though, that the fact that the Saints aren't in the Nickelodeon game that's going to be tomorrow, it's got to be those damn Cowboys. The, the damn Cowboys and the Cheaters have to be the game that's on Nickelodeon. And, yes, I will gladly watch the Nickelodeon version of that game because I think it's going to be a lot more entertaining. Last year's was – like a bevy of fun, way more entertaining than hearing, you know, Jim Nance and Tony Romo. No offense to them. I, I love Jim. I love Jim Nance and Tony Romo. It's way better than Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, but there's only so much cowboy love I can tolerate on my television. And either way, you're kind of screwed because they just love to ride the, you know, what of the Dallas Cowboys, be it the Fox team or the CBS team. Cause either way, you're either getting Jim Nance or you're getting Tony Romo. Jim Nance and Tony Romo, or you're getting Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. And I think Troy Aikman loves the Cowboys even more. Like, he will criticize that team for even the smallest iota of problem. But again, that's that's his thing. I'm not going to hate it. But again, we're having Ross Jackson on at 1130. But in the meantime and in between time, 
I've been thinking about this the last few weeks, and I think now that we're past Black Monday, it's time to crown a champion. It's time to crown a champion, in my mind, about the biggest jamoke in the NFL in terms of a franchise. This is the opposite of the Super Bowl. This is the toilet bowl of the NFL, in my mind. So we're going to get to that right here, right now. Who is the biggest lol cow? Who's the biggest joke, the jabroni of the NFL? And there's a lot of categories. So I'm going to give you four nominations right here, right now. And if you want to throw in your own, call us up, 337-706-0111. And I think a lot of them, there's one that's slightly different, and it's a late entry. Three of them make perfect sense for a lot of reasons. Number one, with a bullet, I think, and this was a strong nominee before the season even started. And I think you might know where I'm going with this because you've heard me talk about it before. The Houston Texans. They are absolutely at the top of the list when it comes to jabroni franchises and being a law cow. They've been doing this for 20 years. And this year may have taken the cake. First off, you've got Jack Easterby and Nick Casario single-handedly being like Nick Khan and the WWE and ruining that product overnight. Like them being the invisible hand and causing things to go completely off the rails. Remember, a few years ago, they were up at halftime against the Kansas City Chiefs big in the playoffs. They wound up blowing that lead, and the Chiefs wound up winning the Super Bowl. Since then, that team has gone to hell in a handbasket faster than you can say Houston Oilers. That's how much this team has completely fallen apart. Deshaun Watson, gone. Persona non grata, he's been out of the league for a year, dealing with a lot of the stuff he's been dealing with behind the scenes. Rumors about him getting traded all season long. Them wanting way too much for him. Because honestly, who wants to touch the damaged goods? If things were resolved by the start of the season and then you wanted to trade him, that would make sense. But that's not what happened. Then you let go of Bill O'Brien. Then you have the fall guy of all fall guys. Like, I think that David Cully may may have been part of the mob and been given the seaman's shoes before he even set foot in an NFL training camp, training facility as a head coach. David Cully, by the way, former Cajuns assistant way back in the day, help recruit Brian Mitchell. That alone is crazy to think about. But he had a golden opportunity to be part of a franchise as a head coach. Get that opportunity. Lo and behold, it took him one year to get fired. Now, again, I said fall guy. He's the ultimate fall guy. Because Nick Casario, Jack Easterby, they don't want anything to do with a good franchise. It's been 20 years since that franchise has been there, and they've had one like shining moment in the sun, and that was the Deshaun Watson era, and then, of course, things about him come out. Again, It's this is all allegations. There's It's still going on in the court, so it's, it's a little bit of – I'm not going to go too much into detail about that, but that alone makes it tough for me to put this team in that law cow category. All that stuff. They've been an absolute joke for over a year. And I think now they have a chance to at least redeem themselves. And if you get Brian Flores, who we'll get to in a minute, 
they have a chance to at least begin the healing process. Now, if this front office actually does it, is a whole different conversation that I don't think we're going to get the resolution to. I think we see the Houston Texans continue to fall flat on their face because guess what? It just feels like that's the way that invisible hand wants to do things. And it's going to be a a long time before things get better. Mind you, you got rid of your best players. J.J. Watt, he's gone. Nuke, he's gone. Both of them, I mean, you pretty much got the whole Texans roster, or at least what was good of it, over in Arizona. And they're in the playoffs. The Texans got a lot of room to grow, but I think they need to find that right guy that's going to get this team back on some form of a track because this thing's been derailed pretty damn quickly. So nominee number one, we got to throw in the Houston Texans, and they are at the top of my list when I put this together last night before the show. Number two, I think an undisputed king of law cows in the NFL and jabroni, the Washington football team. And I think almost alone, it's like the First off, you got Dan Snyder. He still owns the team. That alone is enough for me to put you on that list of jokes and jabronis. You've got a great head coach in Ron Rivera. Nothing but respect for him and what he's done and battling cancer and getting back on the field as a head coach. Great stuff. Great story. That said, you play at a dump of a stadium. Seriously. It's the worst stadium of all time. You had literally the worst setup I've ever seen. And I believe it was either week 16 or week 17. Can't remember. But you damn near had Jalen Hurts get crushed by fans because your venue isn't set up properly enough. And basically you have gates fall down and multiple people probably suffered injuries at your hands. And that's not counting the sewage, the waste that's coming through that stadium. And then on top of that, we got the announcement. The Washington football team is finally going to come up with a name. It's been two years, and we finally are going to find out a name. And reportedly, it's going to be the Washington Admirals. The Admirals. Okay, fine, sure, whatever. You've still got way more, way bigger problems to deal with than that. You've got one Dan Steiner. He still owns that team. That's enough to put you every year in contention for the toilet bowl, if you will. They're always going to be a contender. Then we throw in number three, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're another perennial. They're a, they're a powerhouse in the toilet bowl every year because they just don't know how to run a franchise right. Somehow, someway, Tony Khan knows how to run a wrestling promotion really well. But a football franchise, not just in the American sense, but the European sense as well, they can't run a franchise to save their life. But the Jacksonville Jaguars absolutely deserve this for a lot of reasons. Number one, wasting Trevor Lawrence's rookie season. Number two, hiring Urban Meyer. Number three, signing Tim Tebow. Number four, hiring Urban Meyer. Number five, hiring Urban Meyer. Number six, keeping Urban Meyer on as long as he did. Number six, hiring Urban Meyer. Like I think every other one can be hiring Urban Meyer. 
because that was the biggest mistake you could have made if you're an NFL franchise. Because, especially that franchise, I think if he went to any other team, he probably would have done well enough. But the fact you had the losing combined with him going ahead and saying, I'm out, I'm going to go ahead and do my own like do my own thing after a loss in Ohio. I'm going to stick around in Ohio, go hang out at my sports bar and have women around. Now, again, that's just – the women thing is entirely different. But leaving your team behind to go just hang out and then going ahead and going ghost on your last day, you go ahead and just leave. You don't even have a team meeting saying, hey, guys, I'm gone. Goodbye. I'll talk to you all later. We had a great season. Things just didn't work out the way we wanted to. Blah, 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 blah. No. You straight up bailed. You you rent, you got out of the first plane to wherever you're at now. And good riddance to bad rubbish. The Jacksonville Jaguars, they've got a lot of things to fix. And they got the number one pick again, which doesn't necessarily mean all that much. That team had Miles Jack a number of years ago in a top five pick. Leonard Fournette as a top five pick. And they could not do a damn thing with those guys in the long run. They had that AFC championship game, but ever since then, that team absolutely has crumbled to dust. The Jacksonville Jaguars are without a doubt a number three strong candidate to be the law cow of the year to win the toilet bowl in my mind. Now the fourth one, it's a late nominee and I think it almost solely has to do with the front office and their expectations because I was blown away by this. The Miami Dolphins and you know, I could put in the New York Giants in this spot but honestly, the New York Giants are a little bit easy of a target. And mind you, they're at least trying to fix things. They fired Joe Judge. And shout out to Joe Judge, by the way, for having a celebration of getting fired with all his boys that he hired and ordering pizza and booze. That's the way you handle a firing. That's the way you handle a firing if you're an NFL head coach. That is a baller-ass move, to be honest. He's, if I were a head coach... And I just got fired from a job. I'm probably not going to wind up getting an NFL head coaching job anytime soon. Go ahead, live it up for a little bit, and then go down to Alabama to join him on the coaching Betty Ford Clinic for a couple years with him, uh, Bill O'Brien. Maybe, just maybe, you'll get back into the coaching game through that end. You kind of clean yourself up and clean up your act. But they fired Dave Gettleman, too. Dave Gettleman stepped down. They're making things right. They're... They've got some work to do, but guess what? They at least are aware. The Chicago Bears, same thing. They're aware of their problems. But flip it over to the Miami Dolphins. You fire a head coach who went 9-8. and 9-8. Eight, and eight, and missed the playoffs for a second straight year. You're right. Missed the playoffs for the second straight year after going 9-8. and eight, And then I think they were 10-6 and six last year. That's, I in my mind, that's a slap in the face if I'm a Dolphins fan. Because Brian Flores did a lot better of a job than a lot of the guys you had before him in this kind of era where this team has been made. I understand the expectation was for this team to probably make the playoffs after what they did. But guess what? You didn't. You've still got to deal with the Patriots who are, in a sense, back. You've got to deal with a Bills team that has looked mediocre at times, but guess what? They still got the job done. You can beat the Jets all day long, but when you have a stacked AFC 
which has proven itself to be almost self-cannibalizing. This AFC has gotten better since Tom Brady left. It's a lot like what's happened in the NBA. The Eastern Conference has gotten a little bit better. There's more parity because of the fact that LeBron James isn't running things anymore over in the Eastern Conference. Now we're seeing more and more interesting storylines coming out of the coming out of the East. It's not like what it was back in the day. Back in the mid-2010s when you had every single year was the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Golden State Warriors, the Miami Heat, whatever. It was always whatever team LeBron's on is going to make the NBA Finals. That's not the case now. The Eastern Conference is getting better. Now that your guy that's basically held dominion for over two decades almost, he's gone. The, the big bad wolf is gone, but the guy that was running things, Bill Belichick, he's still there. He's getting that team better. But the Miami Dolphins, fire head coach, not even giving him the time of day to really sink his teeth in and develop this team. They had potential this year to make waves. They didn't. It is what it is. You got to kind of say, hey, look yourself in the mirror and figure out what your honest to goodness problem is and we'll try and solve that puzzle. But I think they wound up going completely backwards and saying, hey, let's fire a head coach who's done a pretty decent job up to this point. In all honesty, he's moved on up to this point in time. He's done well. He has done well. Has it been, you know, Super Bowl worthy? No. But I think those expectations are way too lofty because if we're being honest, the Miami Dolphins haven't done a damn thing since 1972 in terms of winning a championship. Yes, you had the Dan Marino years, but those years are long, long gone. So we can't we can't just completely say these guys, they need to do better. They need to do better. Well, guess what? I agree with you wholeheartedly. They need to do better, but at the end of the day, it's not because of the fact that the head coach didn't live up to your expectations. He did a lot better than Adam Gase, and Adam Gase was in and out the door in New York pretty damn quickly. Brian Flores is going to be something that I think a lot of people will forget about, but I'm not going to because I think the front office probably has as much to do with the underperforming, if not more, than Flores. And Flores is going to wind up getting a really good job somewhere be it Chicago, be it Houston, whoever. He's going to make that team better. But they are a late entry because of their stupidity to let go of their head coach in Brian Flores. So for me, in terms of these four nominees, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are the undisputed winners of this year's toilet bowl right here under the dome with CD. Every year I think going forward, as long as the show exists, I'm doing a toilet bowl, and I'm going to be breaking down a lot of the grievances I have for each of these franchises and why they suck and why they are the biggest loser in the NFL, why they exist solely to frustrate me, you, and everybody else. And, you know, it's just the facts, Jack. This team stinks to high heaven, and I think we can all just say it right here. Loser! You're a loser! Are you feeling sorry for yourself? Well, you should be, because you are dirt! You make me sick, you big baby! That's exactly what it is when you look at the state of the 
Miami Dolphins, excuse me, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they are absolutely at the top of the list. Houston Texans, absolutely. Loser! They're absolutely that. The Washington football team, they've got some problems that are more internal. Get rid of Dan Steiner, get rid of the cyst that is that franchise owner. Things change. But but until then, you're just this. Loser! The Miami Dolphins, you had a chance to be a winner, but now... Loser! That's exactly what you are. You're losers. And that's why you get into the toilet bowl conversation. The Giants, the Bears, they're losers. The Vikings, they're losers. But guess what? They understand that and want to get better. Y'all continue to try and take 10 steps backwards to become even more losers. Because you just love being mired in mediocrity. And that's fine. But until you realize that, until somebody sits you down and says, hey, Quit doing that. You're just going to keep perpetuating this pity party. That's just my take on that. We'll take a quick timeout. we got Ross Jackson coming aboard the program in about 10 minutes. We'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday. Coming to you live from the first 103.7 The Game studios. Hopefully you're having a good one. I know I sure am. Now that I kind of got all that off my chest, I got a few minutes here. We'll get to Ross Jackson momentarily. Going to have this. I have a quick segment here. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of feel the space out and explore the space a little bit, if you will. So when it comes to the New Orleans Pelicans, I, I I haven't talked much about them because, honestly, sometimes they just don't give me anything really good to talk about. But I think we got to show a lot of love to one player in particular. That's Herb Jones. He is a guy, I think, in strong consideration in my mind to be a rookie of the year sleeper kind of guy. Because you've been without Zion pretty much this entire season. He's been a non-factor, persona non grata, and there's a lot of questions surrounding what his future is going to be like for a lot of reasons, not just because of the typical, oh, he's a superstar, he's going to go ahead and get out the door next, like the first chance he gets, a lot like what we saw with Anthony Davis and to a lesser extent, Chris Paul. But you wonder, what's going to happen next? Like, what's the future looking like? And this team looks Slightly better than I think we may have expected because of the fact you wound up losing one of your key guys. It's an uphill climb, trust me, to get into the playoffs where you're at right now at 16 and 26, but it could have been a lot worse. I mean, just go look at the Trailblazers right now. They're in that same kind of boat you're in. And that Blazers team a few years ago, you were competing with the playoffs in the playoffs against the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're way worse off, but I think. You've got a chance to do some building. And it's because 
you've got somebody like a Herb Jones. He's been damn good. Now, how how much longer you can kind of deal with being without Zion Williams is a whole different conversation. Because I think he's done for the year. And then you kind of start thinking, what is the future of our franchise going to look like if he can't get healthy, if he can't get right, if he's still dealing with the same issues he was dealing with at Duke following the infamous shoegate or the shoe just exploding. You're going to have to be dealing with it for a while. And there are several questions that I have, and I'm sure a lot of us are going to be wondering about all that stuff. And it's, it, it again, it's going to be an interesting next few months if you're a Pelicans fan. See what happens. Again, a playoff run, I think it's out, out of the cards. Getting into that, is, I mean, I think the NBA is going to do that playing game in 22, so the playing tournament in 2022, so there's at least in a there's at least a chance you can get into that, but beyond that big dance, it's an uphill climb. But it'll be interesting to see what they do because the trade deadline is like right around the corner, and it's just it's sitting there February 10th. You've still got plenty of time to kind of make that push to get somebody, but you've got about a month to make that decision, make a push and be either a buyer or a seller. We're going to try and get some NBA guys on this program because I think there's something to be said about the conversation surrounding who's going where. That's at least the way I think about it. That's the way I see it. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we got Ross Jackson join the program host of the Locked On Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles, and so much more. We'll talk about all this stuff next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday morning, afternoon, I should say, because we got a lot we got a lot of things to talk about today, and obviously the New Orleans Saints, their season comes to an end. We talked about it last Saturday, and knowing the fact this will be the last time for a little while at least, we're going to give them some time off, and more importantly, some much-needed like respite away from me for a while before we get to more... Saints talk probably closer to the NFL draft and training camp, and then the whole cycle starts again. But knowing it's the end of the road for this conversation sucks, especially since the fact that it is a super wild card weekend and there'll be no Houdat chance, and more importantly, no Saints on a Nickelodeon simulcast. And I'm sure our next guest, Ross Jackson, host of the Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles, is just as disappointed as, as I am. Ross. How you doing, brother? Hey, buddy. Doing just fine. Doing just fine. Appreciate you as always having me on. Yes, I am disappointed. I wanted to see that slime again for the New Orleans Saints, but, you know, it is what it is. 
It has to, and of course, like if it's not the Saints, it has to be the two teams who I think the Saints hate the most in terms of their history. It's the team over in Texas, the Dallas Cowboys, and the San Francisco 49ers. It feels like the NFL, once again, kind of spitting in the face of the franchise. Yeah, it's a little interesting, that decision. Uh, I thought for sure that they were going to be going with the um, the Raiders and Bengals. I thought that would be the game that they would choose for that. You know, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, like a lot of these like young stars that are on that team and everything. I, I very much thought that that's where they were going to head, but they ended up going with the uh, Cowboys and the 49ers. And, and honestly, I'm not sure. Even if, even if the Saints would have moved on into the wildcard round, if they would have gone with, I mean, I guess technically yes, but I'm not, I wasn't sure whether or not they would go with the Saints game just based upon, um, you know, they took some chances with C.J. Gardner-Johnson last year, and it didn't fully work out for Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah, true, true. That, that, by the way, that going back to that, last year's game was absolutely amazing. Just from the like, from the jump, like. And I, I, now that I mean, there's no there's no skin in the game, but I'm sure you and I are going to be watching that Nickelodeon simulcast. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I thought that the way that they did it last year was so great. I'm looking forward to seeing the the changes or any type of you know adjustments that they made going into this year after the first year of feedback. But I actually really enjoyed the the presentation of it. I mean, you know, there's the nostalgia factor for us, but. Hey, they did a really good job introducing the game to a new audience that you know they knew was going to have a lot of questions about how the game worked and everything. I think they did a really good job on the broadcast of asking and answering the questions that a new audience would be interested in. I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing it again tonight. It's tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow afternoon. Or tomorrow, sorry. Yeah, tomorrow. Today we just got that doubleheader, Cincy, Vegas, and New England, Buffalo. You'll hear that, by the way. Right here on 1037, the game with everything kind of with the festivities getting started around 130. But in the meantime, you know, obviously, Ross, looking at the Saints, the way the season ended, you want to beating your rival in a big way on the road. And then you see what happened with the Los Angeles Rams like 10 minutes later. That's got to be the most like disappointing feeling because you start, you start off high as a highs. You won. Now you're just waiting to see how the rest of it's going to play out. And then 10 minutes later, you're just sitting there. As a player, you're probably disgusted. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to stink, right? It's got to stink. I mean, to be able to sit there and say, okay, we did what we needed to do, you know, as a player. We would say that they did what they needed to do. And then to see it kind of not come to fruition based upon the performance of another team or the poor performance of another team, you know, everything looked like it was perfect, right? I mean, the Los Angeles Rams coming out there, it's a big 17-0 lead, and then all of a sudden that lead starts to get chipped away, 17 straight points by uh, San Francisco, and then you see them get this last opportunity and just make some, you know, ill, um, some some kind of, you know, some not great decisions, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's got to be something that is um, really tough for, players to, to feel like they did everything that they needed to do to get to where they want to go and unfortunately see it not work out because of the you know flaws of somebody else exactly and it just it just stabs you even more in the heart especially when it's a team you were a rival with back in the day in the, in the los angeles rams mm-hmm. and having it with the it just it just stunk all the way around but looking over at the saints just way the season went all things considered would you like a nine and eight season, any other year would probably be considered a failure. How do you 
grade out this season considering all the factors? Yeah, look, I, I think the, the Saints did a fantastic job this season, and and I know that people are probably you know you know some folks might roll their eyes when they hear that and things like that, but you know I, I from my personal bar, right? I set the New Orleans Saints in terms of my expectations of them as a ten and seven team, fully healthy coming into the season, right? Thinking that we were going to get seventeen games of Jameis Winston, you know, at least the majority of games with a starting five offensive line. Uh, a healthy defense, and that with the expectation, of course, that you know Michael Thomas would be back with you know, after the first you know, seven or eight weeks or so after starting the season on the uh, PUP list. And so my expectation was that with all of those pieces, that this team would be one win better than it turned out to be when they had to start four different quarterbacks, six different tackles, five different kickers, if you include Will Lutz in the preseason. I mean, or in the in the off season. This New Orleans Saints team went through so much, being displaced by a hurricane, all of the things that we know that they've been through that we can catalog and Rolodex as much as we want. But they were one win worse than my expectation of a mostly healthy team going into the beginning of the season. So for me, I, you know, I would grade this season out as a positive grade for the New Orleans Saints, having to navigate everything that they've navigated. And I think to me it all comes down to uh, the culture of this team and the leadership of this team when it comes to Sean Payton and, and the rest of that coaching staff. Talk right now, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And now it comes kind of the part where you're just wondering what's going to happen this offseason with a lot of guys. And we'll start with the front office because obviously this is going to be something that becomes a point of conversation about Jeff Ireland because you have several GM jobs that are, are vacant right now in the New York Giants the Chicago Bears, the Minnesota Vikings. Would you even consider seeing Jeff Ireland leave? And how much of a hold does that leave, especially considering the fact that you are going to be dealing with the Loomisnomics for another year, currently $60 million projected to be in the hole, and you have to kind of fix all that. And losing somebody like, again, a Mickey Lo- a Jeff Ireland, who has done a fantastic job, do you think he could very well be gone during this offseason and move on to go be a GM somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that there's certainly a chance. That, and the thing that you lose with Jeff Ireland is his you know, incredible eye for talent in not only the draft classes, but the undrafted free agency classes. I think that's the big piece that you would end up missing without him. Now, the Saints certainly have a, you know, they have a routine, they have a rhythm in terms of types of players that they look for, what they look for in players, all of that. So sliding somebody into that position and sort of having them either come from in-house where they already know the Saints' way of doing things or sort of making sure that they hire somebody that brings the Saints, brings something new to the Saints' way of doing things when it comes to draft classes, then they should be okay. But it's still a big hole to fill for sure. Jeff Ireland is the person that really expanded what the Saints look for in their draft classes. He's the reason that, you know, P.J. Williams is still – you know, on this team. He's the reason that they, you know, were able to land Michael Thomas in the second round and Von Bell in the second round, David Onyemata in the fourth round, guys like CJ Gardner Johnson in the fourth round. Like it's it's really, really remarkable. And of course that two thousand and seventeen draft class where everybody on that draft class has got the second contract, you know? And so I think you look at what it is that Jeff Ireland brought to this team and ask, you know, what will they miss if he gets hired away, which I do think is possible certainly possible this season. Thankfully, there are only three GM jobs open, but 
there could be more on the way. And then, of course, in the near future, within a couple of years, it's certainly a departure that you would prepare for because I think he's going to get more looks as a as at you know as a general manager. And so, with the way that the salary cap is 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 kind of the salary cap navigation and, and system is going to be for this offseason, you'd love to keep Jeff Ireland here because you're going to do a lot of building through the draft and cheap contracts moving forward. And, you know, looking at other guys that could very well be going somewhere else in the not-too-distant future, what about Dennis Allen? Because, again, we got a lot of head coaching vacancies, and I'm sure Dennis Allen is going to be considered heavily for a lot of those jobs because of what he's done building that defense over the years to being probably one of the top 10, if not top 12 defenses in the league. How crucial is it like for him to maybe be out the door and then you it kind of leaves you empty-handed on the defensive coordinator front? Because you wound up losing a lot of key guys over the last couple of years. Dennis Allen, losing that would be a huge blow. Yeah, absolutely. And I am just absolutely shocked that he has not been scheduled for an interview yet um he currently has no head coaching interviews at least at the time that we're speaking um and i thought for sure that once the vikings kind of made their decision on you know their general manager interviews and things like that and then started to or got comfortable with their general manager interviews and started to interview head coaches that he would be one of the first so far at least he hasn't been and so for me, the two big challenges for the New Orleans Saints when it comes to Dennis Allen are going to be the Minnesota Vikings, and then if the um, if the, the the Raiders move on from Coach Basaccia, who took over as the interim coach after the John Gruden fiasco, and then led them to the playoffs. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. But I think that you know, losing Dennis Allen would be huge for this team. And you know, we talk about how the how Jeff Ireland has changed the way that the Saints view scouting and, 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 and go about college scouting. A big part of that is making sure that he understands what the scheme fits are, what the X's and O's are, but also understanding what are the personalities that fit within the locker room. You want to talk about a personality that fits in the locker room? Dennis Allen is definitely one of them. And so, and kind of the, the thing that that, that that really kind of stresses for me is that Dennis Allen would be tough to lose for the things on the defensive side, but he also has the personality he has the sort of i would imagine camaraderie with some of these other coaches that he might also take other coaches with him right like could he end up getting hired as a head coach and then taking you know a guy like i don't know just to throw something out like uh, uh, ryan nielsen as a defensive coordinator who i think should be the next in-house in line for defensive coordinator in new orleans so there might be a little bit of a, a tug of war there could he bring a guy like brian young who's been the saints pass rush specialist and then promote him to be a defensive line position coach right so there's the opportunity for him to not only leave but a potential exodus of the rest of that coaching staff that could potentially go with him we've been waiting for a long time for the sean payton tree to start and you know i, I think after last year when we saw it a little bit with dan campbell and coach lombardi going to uh, Los Angeles to work with the Chargers, Aaron Glenn, who also got head coaching interviews this offseason. I think we'll we'll see it start to you know take root a little bit more here over the next couple of seasons. Oh, I'd agree with you. I think it's gonna be interesting to see how it's gonna kind of happen through that coaching staff because obviously Sean Payton is also gonna be a guy that's gonna be brought up in conversations as well. But he feels like he's a m- lot more locked in to stick around with this franchise for the long haul, even after reports came out that maybe just maybe some TV people, some media people mm-hmm. might just be like, hey, why not try and follow the path of Drew Brees? Because he has that kind of 
personality to where I think he would work well in the TV front, but it feels like that's going to be something that goes on way, way down the road. Yeah, that feels more like something that's going to be an option for him after the fact, right? After he's done coaching. I don't think, I agree with you 100%. I don't think that Sean Payton is, you know, close to going anywhere or anything like that. You know, I think that he, what he did this season in the 2021 season should be a big drive for what he can do moving forward in 2022 as they kind of have to get back to where they got in 2017, which is that they found the players and put the players in the, in the room and were able to run the system. Now they did it over on the defensive side then when they had that incredible 2017 draft class and they continued to add to it over free agency with guys like Demario Davis and Quan Alexander and all. But now over on the offensive side, you're kind of looking to do that, right? What are you going to do at the quarterback spot? And then what do you need to do at the skill position spot to do that? Well, you have to replace Teron Armstead. All these big questions that the Saints have over on the um, have throughout the, this offseason, a, a lot of them, with the exception of maybe the Marcus Williams question, is over on the offensive side. And so I think that that becomes kind of the next um, you know, big task for the New Orleans Saints. And you'd certainly love to have uh, Jeff Ireland there. Unfortunately, you, don't, you already don't have Terry Fontenot uh, anymore, who did such a phenomenal job when it came to that pro personnel edition, the guys like Demario Davis and Quan Alexander that we just talked about. But Michael, Michael Parenton has done a great job there as well and kind of steps in as somebody with a, a similar school of thought. So, you know, you want to preserve as much of the staff, whether it be coaching staff or front office staff, as much as possible because they have a big task ahead of them in terms of kind of reloading uh, the Saints offense and trying to run back as much of the Saints defense as possible for 2022. One more before I let you go, Ross. Looking at the way this team's set up right now, again, we talked about it earlier. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week as well. $60 million in the hole. What are some of going to be the toughest decisions this team is going to have to make this offseason to try and get that salary cap in line to where you can make some moves this offseason to kind of, like you said, reload the cupboard? Because you can't just do it through mm-hmm. the draft. Right, absolutely. No, you're going to have to make some contract choices, things like that. Um, you know, a lot of it's going to be restructuring. It's going to be, you know, restructuring guys like Ryan Ramchek and uh, Alvin Kamara, potentially Michael Thomas, which if you see a, a restructure from Michael Thomas, then that's basically locking him in if you have questions about Michael Thomas over the offseason. So, you know, you would expect to see things like that. But in terms of other kind of monetary decisions that they'll have to make, guys like Bradley Roby, who have, you know, a, a pretty big uh, near $10 million cap hit or just over $10 million cap hit, um, he is non-guaranteed for next season. So do you extend him and knock his cap hit down, or do you trade him to get you know a different asset and unload that salary? So that'll be a really interesting one to watch. And then the biggest one, I think, in terms of a player that's currently on the roster that they have to make a contract decision about for monetary purposes is going to be Teron Armstead. Teron Armstead is due to cost the Saints over $13 million once his contract voids and goes into that 2022 new league year. So do they let him walk and not commit to him long-term because of injury or because it's time or however it is that they feel about it and take that big-time short-term hit that could potentially really harm them this offseason in particular? Or do they extend him short-term his contract and you know push – or excuse me, kind of drop his uh, salary cap hit in the short-term and then extend him to – 
you know, take on a little bit of that money and spread it out over the long term. Those are two big decisions that I think that the Saints will have to make. And then, you know, the final one that's not necessarily cap-saving at this moment, but do you spend the money and do you have the money to get my, uh, Marcus Williams to stay in New Orleans? That will be the other big one. I'd have to agree with you there, Ross. Thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, man. Absolutely, brother. Appreciate you, man. Stay safe. All right, that was Ross Jackson. Appreciate him joining the program. As always, it's going to be a damn shame not being able to talk to him for a little while because we're going to go ahead and kind of just pull away from a little bit. And then once we get close to the draft, we'll get some conversations going with him. And more importantly, when we get to the offseason and all that stuff, we'll talk to him. We're going to try to get some other people on because I think, honestly, the conversation about salary cap is going to be something we reset a lot over the next few months. But we'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we got one final take, and it involves a team that wears the crimson and cream. How about that? I rhymed. We'll talk about that next right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. The final take I have is Alabama. And to me, I'm going to steal a phrase from a late great comedian known as one Richard Pryor. And to steal that phrase, he ain't dead yet. The Alabama Crimson Tide, Nick Saban, he ain't dead yet. And that team is absolutely still ready to kind of make a run for the college football playoff national championship. It's never going to go away. That's kind of the whole thing. He'll never just go away, go quietly into that good night. That's not the way he operates when it comes right down to it. So it's going to be fun to see what happens not too far down the road. And when it comes to Nick Saban in Alabama, I was wrong. I'll admit I was completely dead wrong. But I think that's going to be even more motivation. Trust me. This team will be back and winning a championship before it's all said and done. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week. Until then, we got NFL football later on. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over.